1: And a good morning, football fans. It is day two of Birds365 here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel and accessible through Phillyvoice.com. It is your Mac and Mac guys, Jody McDonald, along with my partner John McMullen, who looks spry and ready to go this morning in his kanga hat.
2: Mm-hmm. How are you,
1: JM? I'm doing well, Jody.
2: I don't know about spry, but I'm I'm somewhat ready to go.
1: I uh bust your uh chops about the hat because I wore my uh obligatory kenga hat yesterday you did not but you did get a pass because it was green you said I do have another one uh so he's doffing the cap for us today <laughs> we appreciate that greatly uh yes the follicly challenged Jordan McDonald going sun's hat if it's that bad if it's burning your irises out on the uh stream. I apologize. If need be, the commenters will tell me I need to get a baseball cap or something. We, see, we will see uh, if that is a necessary change before the show comes and goes. We got two hours of talk for you today about 90% of it on the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, There is one topic I want to get into early today before we even get into the Eagles, and we're going to try and focus a little bit on the new coaching staff of the Birds. Uh, But first things first, for our commenters, I want you to take a best-guess scenario. Now, John, I'm going to ask you a question, but I don't want you to answer it right away. Let's get a uh, couple of commenters involved here. Last night, I'd say, oh, I don't know about... 9.45 p.m. Was John McMullen, A, watching the Phillies, B, watching the Flyers, C, watching the NCAA championship game, or D, watching a taped replay of the Eagles' victory over the Saints in upset (laughs) fashion in December with Jalen Hurts leading them to maybe their most impressive victory of the year? I'm pretty damn sure John was watching one of those four things You tell me, uh, commenters, which of those was most likely. I was going back and forth. Damn, I used up all the batteries on my remote control because all three games were in play last night. Sorry, I uh, raced the Eagles uh, win against the Saints. So that wasn't an option for me, but I did go back and forth between the basketball and the uh, hockey and the uh, baseball last night. Uh, before we get into the big trade that came down in the NFL yesterday, along the lines of last night's TV activity in the world of sports, JM, do you think Eagles fans, and when I see Eagle fans, I know most of the people in Philadelphia are four for fours and they root for all four teams. Uh, a lot of them have the Eagles as their number one team, but it doesn't keep them from being huge Phillies, Flyers, or Sixers fans. When the other teams are doing well, and last night was a great night because the Phillies win to get to 4-0, and the Flyers win. They're just outside the playoffs looking in. The team they got to catch is Boston, who they beat last night in overtime. So they only got one point, not two, but one is better than none. Um, they're right on the cusp of making the playoffs, and the Sixers are certainly going to be a playoff team. They'll play out the regular season, see where they land in the Eastern Conference. Does that lessen an antsy offseason like the one the Eagles are going through right now, coming off a pretty poor season, going reconstruction uh, with a new coaching staff and the like? Does it make it easier or harder from an Eagle fan perspective when the other teams in town are doing well?
2: I think it makes it a little bit easier, Jody. I, I would say it depends on the fan. Obviously, if you're just a hardcore Eagles fan and you're not big into the Sixers or Flyers, obviously it's not going to affect you. But I, I do think that uh, it takes your mind off things. And as we are into this sort of draft uh, silly season, as I like to call it, um sometimes it's good to get away from that because you get in your head a little bit too much as a fan. You want this guy, you want that guy. And sometimes it's just best to let it come to you, so to speak. (laughs) And
1: it is a little bit easier when the other hometown teams are doing well. And yeah, 4-0. The Phillies bats haven't even woken up yet and they're already 4-0 because they're pitching both starting and relieving has been that good. To start this season, I want to go
2: analytics, Jody. That's they're on pace for 162, 162 and 0. zero. Yeah, good luck with yeah.
1: that. See if you can get that. You can get that on DraftKings or uh, anywhere else. Uh, <laughs> Parks Casino Sports Betting App. If you can get down on that, I guarantee you some mega large odds because <laughs> that's got zero chance of happening. Um, I, I was kind of uh, pumped up yesterday. Uh, yes, I'm an Eagles fan but I've been a New York Jets fan my entire life. I moved here to Philadelphia 30 years ago and uh, started watching Eagles, but got to watch every single Eagle game every week to be able to talk about it. Hosted the Eagle pregame show on their radio network for four years. Oh, by the way, have I ever mentioned that all four years, I did the show. The Eagles went to the NFC Championship game. There you go. I to a super, yeah, I wasn't too. It worked out okay. The years that yeah. I was actually hosting the pregame show. Um, so I moved for the birds because of uh, the town in which we live and work, and to see everybody else pumped up. Lifetime Eagle fans have good years. I've been a Jet fan all my life. It's the New York team that I still follow shoot. I'm True. still a season ticket holder, as a matter of fact, that were passed down from my dad to my brother and I to me, uh, all the way back to Shea Stadium, and now have tickets in the uh, new stadium over here in New Jersey. Um, so I've been a diehard Jet fan my entire life. I do remember when they went to the Super Bowl back in 1969. I was just a wee lad of seven wow. years old, but I do actually
2: remember that. Oh. What you're saying is you know some pain. You uh, know some pain as a New York Jets fan. I haven't now, been back to the Super Bowl since. Yeah, that's pain.
1: Thank you for reminding me, yes. John. Are you a Larry David fan, Jody? Are you no, a Kirby or Enthusiasm fan? Uh, really? I am not, which I know some people think is just uncruitable and can't be believed. But, uh, no, I never a Larry David
2: fan. And not uh, of his I'm shows. I'm sure, or, though. I'm a huge Larry David fan. But... Uh, My my point here is, has anyone brought up to you the Jets killed Carl episode? I have have
1: gotten many a recantation of that show and what it was all about. And I'm sure it was tremendously entertaining, but I get enough salt rubbed in the wounds, my wounds, by the Jets as it is. I don't need to take somebody else's misery with me. I'm just not that kind of guy. Uh, But yes, the Jets have been a uh, labor of love for my entire life. Uh trade came down yesterday, which everybody expected. Certainly I did. I shouldn't say mm-hmm. everybody, but most people did. That The Jets at number two in the draft are almost a given to be taking a quarterback, and they were going to try and move Sam Darnold. My speculation since the season ended, everyone was hoping and wishing it was going to be Trevor Lawrence when the Jets were sitting at 0-14 oh, and, and oh, owned the first overall Man. draft pick. They end up winning two games at the end of the season and blow their chance to draft number one. But they're going to draft two, and they're going to get a top-flight QB. Chances are it's going to be Zach Wilson. There's no sense to having Sam Donald and Zach Wilson there at the same time. A quarterback competition with two young players just doesn't make sense. I've been speculating all year that I thought the Jets – could get a number two draft pick in exchange for Donald. Not a one, even though we're only three years removed from Donald being the third mm-hmm. overall player taken in the draft. He hasn't played well. The numbers have not been good, and in some cases, just downright brutally awful. I would blame it more on everything else but Sam, but he can't get a free pass for it. Uh, the numbers just are awful. To get the package that they got... I thought Joe Douglas did a heck of a job in getting Sam Darnold off the team with draft capital in exchange. I absolutely think the Jets won the trade yesterday. How about you?
2: Um that's interesting. Obviously, I'm not a big win-loss trade guy. We don't know. So that's stipulated right away, but it is, you know, talk or in this case, you know, streaming radio. So Uh, I do think Joe Douglas maximized the potential to get something back. So from that perspective, I like what the Jets did. Um, But I also like what Carolina did because I do think that uh, Sam Darnold has an upside. I do think you can talk yourself into the fact that Adam Gase was the problem. Uh, If you look at Ryan Tannehill in Miami versus Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee, I think that's the template, so to speak. Um, So I like it from both perspectives Uh, from the Eagles perspective. I don't necessarily like it because now you have Carolina who was a team deep into the quarterback mix, no longer in the quarterback market. And all of a sudden you said to yourself, well, that means a potential at least of one less quarterback going in those top 11 picks. And that means another position player. And that has a domino effect. Now, Somebody could come up, New England Patriots, Denver Broncos. So there could still be five quarterbacks in the mix, but it does at least raise a little bit of caution. I would say that, Jody.
1: Does it, uh, and I I concur with your supposition that It doesn't help the Eagles if the Eagles are looking for the best possible non quarterback to fall down to number 12. uh, Yes. One less player is going to come off the board because Carolina is not going to take a quarterback now that they've acquired Darnold. Do you think they'll actually trade that spot now? I think they worked hard to not give up that spot. I think they wanted to keep that spot. I'm sure the jets asked for the first round pick and didn't get it. Um, I think they have plans for that pick, and it's probably going to be an offensive weapon. Uh, If you're going to go out and get Sam Donald, why wouldn't you go out and get him a serious weapon, one of the top uh, receivers and or pits the tight end? Uh, I don't think there's much of a chance that they're going to trade back to a team that's going to look to move up unless it's only like two spots if denver wants to move somebody uh thinks the absolute guy is there uh i don't think they're i don't think they're going past the eagles at 12 so i i don't think there isn't the chance that the eagles aren't hurt by this deal
2: well there's two ways to help a quarterback as you know weapons are are certainly a big part of it but also the offensive line i look at carolina and i see robbie anderson i see dj Moore. i see christian mccaffrey if he's healthy And say they have some weapons. They're fine. Their offensive line is a disaster. So I do think that there's a potential they might think about the offensive line to help Sam Sam Darnold instead of another weapon. And if that's the case, what you mentioned, dropping down a couple spots might make a lot of sense, especially if it's a team like Denver coming up. And you think, you know, say Sewell's off the board, you think Rashawn Slater's going to be there a couple spots later? You could you could go in that direction, and that would help the Eagles by you know you what what the Eagles want. Let's be honest, Jody, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, all off the board, all off the board before eleven. That would be their best case scenario. To do that, you're probably going to have one of those teams, one of those quarterback needy teams, has to jump up. And I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but it is still a possibility. I think
1: you're right. You have to keep it in mind. And the problem is you just have to sit there and watch it unfold if you're Harry Roseman, who's going to be making the call for the Eagles on the draft day. Uh, one other aspect of yesterday's deal uh, with the Jets moving on from Sam Darnold that I had not heard confirmed. Now, um, this was as per Rich Zimini. Do you know Rich at all? Covers- I do know Rich. Yeah. Right good dude uh been friends with him had him on as a guest uh many times over the years and does a very good job covering the jets for uh, espn was with, with the new york daily news before he went to espn in his article yesterday when the trade broke and giving his reaction and comments to it he mentioned that carolina was almost settling here for sam donald that this was not the First major move they had attempted for a quarterback during this offseason, that they actually were in the bidding to get Matthew Stafford out of Detroit before he ended up with the Rams in a deal between those two teams. And I had not seen this written anywhere. I knew that Carolina had uh, been involved in conversations about a potential Stafford trade, but I had not seen what Samini put forth yesterday. He said that Carolina actually offered the number eight pick in the draft and teddy bridgewater in exchange for matthew stafford i know what the uh lions ended up getting more future picks and jared goff than a pick as high as the number eight pick in the draft personally if you're just talking about a one-year deal I think that Teddy Bridgewater gives the Lions a better chance to win next year than Goff does. Unless you really believe Goff, wow. Goff just had a lousy year for the Rams and is going to be bounced bounce back and be the franchise quarterback. Shoot. I think Detroit might actually take a quarterback with their pick. If one of the top five happens to get down to them, I don't think they're married to Goff at all. I think that Detroit missed out. If you got a chance to get the number eight pick in the draft, and Bridgewater, rather than take what they took from the Rams and Jared Goff. I think they made a bad trade. I always thought that they made a good trade um, because I thought they got a pretty good haul. There was a better haul on the table in exchange for Stafford, the number eight pick
2: and Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, what- I I don't know, Jody, if I can say that's a better haul. I, I'm not as high on Teddy Bridgewater as you are, okay. uh, mainly because... Are you high answer- on Jared Goff? No, not necessarily, but a little bit higher. I think it's a better option at this point than than Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, you know, it, in a lot of ways, I think people forget that injury because Teddy has come back to such a degree and has become a starting quarterback again, albeit, you know, I thought he was on the way to be a star, and he went down with uh, – he could have lost his life. It was an Alex Smith-type injury. If that happened on a high school football field on – a lesser college football field, it could have been a disaster. The fact he was in an NFL facility uh in a lot of ways saved his life. So number one, I'm concerned long term about his health. He's not been the same player from an explosion standpoint. Uh in that type of, I hear you when it comes to Jared Goff. But you know, I think Jared Goff has proven he's gotten to a Super Bowl. Granted, you know, we know all the the you know the exoskeleton jokes with Sean McBay and, um, you know, the joystick jokes and what have you. But, he, but he's shown that degree. I would say Jared Goff is an average starting NFL quarterback. I wouldn't necessarily say that about Teddy Bridgewater right now. Now, you talk about the other parts of it. Remember, the new GM uh, of the Detroit Lions was with the Rams. So he knows Jared Goff. He's comfortable with Jared Goff. I think that's a fit uh, from that perspective as well. Plus, you get the first-round picks. I I, I do think the Rams trade was a little bit better. Um, I don't think it was a home run. Uh, But certainly from from Brad Holmes' perspective, he's more comfortable uh, with Jared Goff. So I don't have an issue with, with, with the Lions taking that perspective. But you're right. This was plan C. In essence, for the Carolina Panthers. They wanted Matthew Stafford. They couldn't get him. Then they wanted Deshaun Watson. They were gonna go all in. But now the legal allegations kind of take that off the table. And then you're you're you have to settle. Rich is right. You have to settle for Sam Darnold, who, by the way, I think is still going to be an upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater, but now you have to be concerned. You're going to pick up the 50-year option. Is he going to be the long-term answer? We're, go- we're going to get those answers at some point. I don't have a lot of confidence in that. And part of it is, Adam Gaze, part of it is what he went through. And you know better than anybody, Jody, what he went through with the Jets. Uh, offensive line, lack of weapons, coach, scheme, everything. In a lot of ways, it's not his fault. But I do think you affect the confidence of a young player. Can he come out of that? That's to me, is the biggest question.
1: That's one thing that I will, and uh, I've seen Donald react. Never actually had him on a show as a guest, but have uh, followed the Jets uh, fervently enough to know what type of guy he is, have friends like a Zamini who do get a chance to talk to him, unfortunately, the last couple of years. The virtual world in which we're living, mm-hmm. not as up close and personal. but Sam was there for three years. So the Jet Beat guys did get a chance to uh, get a feel for what kind of a guy he is. I think he's a good, strong, confident guy. And I think a new start, fresh start in Carolina will be good for him. I don't know how good he is. He might be a guy who deserved to be the number three pick in the draft. And it might have all been just terrible coaching and not enough weapons around him. I don't think that his confidence was taken apart because of lack of success with the Jets. I think he's one of those guys that can wipe the slate clean and come out and be right at the top of his game mentally. When he goes to Carolina, is he good enough? Is he physically talented enough? I don't know. We'll find out, but he's going to be given that shot in Carolina. Uh, One more uh, Eagles related question to the deal that came down yesterday. Like you said earlier, probably not going to help them takes a quarterback needy team out of the mix in front of them and probably takes a player that they could be interested in off the board, dropping down to number 12. What the jets got in exchange for Sam Darnold as compared to what the Eagles got in exchange for Carson Wentz. You can compare the two, not perfectly, because Carson Wentz had already gotten his mega contract. (laughs) Darnold has not. Carson Wentz, a couple years older, uh, certainly Darnold, the younger of the two quarterbacks. Actually, there's a pretty big difference between the two because Carson came out first and came out older. Uh, Sam came out younger and has only played three years in the league. So I, I'm readily admitting it's not a perfect comparison. But they were two of the worst quarterbacks in the National Football League last year. We can agree on that, right? If you put up these Arguably,
2: statistically, the two worst. The two worst. Can,
1: number yeah. 31 and 32 out of yeah. 32 starting quarterbacks in the league. So there is that to compare. Carson Wentz had, during his career, proven They could be a top 10 quarterback. Shoot, You could call him a top two or three quarterback when he was in the running for the MVP in 2017 and then a massive drop off. Sam Donald's never done that. He hasn't always been number 32, but he's always been in the bottom third, if not the last two or three in the league. Again, his fault or the team's fault to be determined by what he does in Carolina. Again, this is why I like to trade from the jet perspective. They got three picks for Sam Darnold. A six this year, not much, but it just adds to their capital for this draft. But then a future two and a future four next year. The Eagles only got one, real well, uh, two picks for uh, uh, Carson Wentz. And yeah, they get one this year and the other one they get a weight on. And it can elevate to a one. But I think that the Jets did almost as well for Sam Darnold, who has never had a highlight, a spike in his career, Carson Wentz has comping the Jets' compensation for them, Dan, Dan, uh, for uh, Arnold, uh, uh, Sam Darnold, as compared to what the Eagles got for Carson Wentz. Did the Eagles get shortchanged in comparison? Now, in your eyes?
2: Well, I, I, I think it depends where you're gauging it from, to be honest, Jody. Because look, at one point, Carson Wentz was thought to be a franchise quarterback in this league, not only by the Eagles, but by everybody. So if you want to gauge it from that point, the high point, it doesn't look good, the valuation in return. If you want to grade on a curve and say after last season, pretty good. Same with Sam Darnold. You want a your third overall pick. The Jets are the second team, I I think, in the Super Bowl era that's going to go top five in quarterback this quickly. Top five, top five, which tells you how his star has fallen. So if you look at the number three overall pick and you start talking about six rounders in, in the year later, remember, this league is weird, Jody. So when you say... To a GM in this league, a 2022 pick is not as valuable as a 2021 pick. So that's why it was pushed off so Joe, Joe Douglas can get more value for Sam Darnold. Bottom line is both GMs in this case. And Howie Roseman obviously was with Joe Douglas and the two are good friends, know each other. Uh, They both had to do the best they could under difficult circumstances. And I think if that's the curve, to be honest, I think they both did pretty well. But when you look at the Eagles getting a potential first-round pick, and if Carson Wentz's plays, if if he's healthy, they're going to get that first-round pick. That, to me, is significant value, especially coming off a season where he performed so poorly. And one thing you never know when you talk about future picks is,
1: Where are they going to fall? At least this year, you know what number it is. You know where the team slotted in next year is kind of speculation. That's why I like the deal that was on the table for the uh, Detroit Lions, because you know where number eight is. Yeah, you got two picks from the Rams, but they're future ones. And if Matthew Stafford does what he's supposed to do out there.
2: That's a good point, because the Rams are a pretty good team, and they're getting a better quarterback in theory. They should be a good football team, and those picks aren't going to be in the top 10. No, and I don't know they're going to be in the top 20. I think
1: they're going to be in the bottom 20, and that's why I would have taken uh, the other deal if I were the Lions. Uh, number eight is number eight. That's a damn good pick anyway you slice it. All right, he is John McMullen. I am Jody McDonald. We are your Birds 365 Duo. If you want to comment on the show, you've got the stream right there in front of you. Feel free to shoot us a comment. I didn't get an answer. Everybody's saying good morning, and we all appreciate the good morning from all the streaming comments we're getting. Uh, maybe they didn't tune in until five minutes into the show. Yeah, by I the asked, way,
2: Jody, the answer is obvious. The answer is obvious. If, That's you all say, say.
1: if you say so, the question I put to my partner was, last night, 9.47 p.m., were you watching? Phillies going to 4-0, Flyers rallying and getting an overtime win, over the Bruins the championship game shoot by 947 it might have been over because Baylor just came out and was phenomenal on defense last night Mm. opened up a lead never gave it back or a replay of the Eagles Saints the biggest win of the Eagles this year maybe the only one that you really pumped your fist for in the upcoming season what did Johnny Mac watch last night I went back and forth between all of them. I'm sure John did too. But what was he mainly focused in? Give us your guest in the comment section on our YouTube channel. McMullen and McDonald here with you on Birds 365.
3: If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.
4: Welcome to the Wildwoods. The perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way.
5: The the, the Middle The Middle I know we're gonna get on that, but I I, I gotta say happy birthdays to the to the kids in
6: the stream. You know what I'm saying? We we looking, we checking it out. Happy birthday to your to your kids, man. You know what I'm to saying? who? The kids, man. I'm watching the stream, man. What stream? It's double birthdays. You got to keep your yeah. eyes off that
5: stream. <laughs> yeah,
7: <man>. seriously. <laughs> <laughs> you have a conversation with the stream, and nobody has any idea what you're talking You got to give about. us That's a why heads you up. Get you because they get yeah. you into it. No no, 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 We I, have no, no idea what you're talking bro. about. So now we're in the yeah. middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Happy right. birthday! Happy
5: birthday yeah. to who? I have no I, idea what's what's going on right now. I, I
7: can just imagine people listening on Sports Map Radio, just like, what did you just say? Who's in action? Real.
5: Play Action Real. His son, Nick. Happy birthday, bro. It All day, right.
7: Now, now, everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, okay. 16 I today. Yeah. I mean, right. Calling BS today. Seriously. This is like A.C. Green selling
8: that he right. was a virgin back with Showtime.
2: The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern.
8: The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show, with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
5: The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers. We are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds. And planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming. It's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. C-A-T-L-E-S-E-O.
4: Jody Mag. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network.
1: Day two of Birds 365 here on the Jacobs Media Network and on phillyvoice.com. Thanks for punching up. Thanks for streaming us today. He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. Well, at least we got one answer on the stream. And that's funny that we played the clip from the middle with Harry and uh, Barrett <laughs> and I, I We're getting used to dealing with the stream. Um, as a guy's been doing <laughs> talk radio for all these years. Forever, the only way you could uh, have a conversation with a listener was if they picked up the phone and dialed. Then social media came onto the scene, and I do get and read tweets on the air. Uh, But this is immediate contact with people who are streaming the show, paying attention. They hop on the comment section on the live stream, and we can get it like that. It's right in front of us uh, as we do the show. It is amazing. I've never done it like this before, and they kind of warned me uh, about it when I hopped on the middle uh, on a show on Friday to just promo John and my show coming up. The stream has a conversation with itself on a daily basis. Uh, I thought the stream was supposed to be there for us to talk to our viewers and our viewers to talk to us. Well, no, our viewers talk to each other they hop on the stream and converse back and forth between themselves and kind of leave you and I out of it, John. It's like, Oh uh, yeah, we got those guys on in the background, but yeah, let's yeah, you and yeah. I discuss what's going on in our lives.
2: And, and, and Barrett, the beauty of Barrett, he's just having a conversation with the stream and, and the other hosts don't know it. So that's, <laughs> that's not a good sign. Nor do uh, the uh... listeners of the simulcast. So that's not
1: good either. Uh, No, but uh, I did ask John this question. At least somebody checked in. You said it was an easy answer to the question. What was John McMullen watching last night when the Flyers, the Phillies, the NCAA championship game were all on at the same time, or was he going over video of the Eagles season? You
2: said it was an easy answer. What was the answer? Well, this weekend is a hint. Should I give you the answer or should I keep teasing it? This upcoming weekend is a hint. This upcoming weekend is a hint. Well, now you've uh,
1: flummoxed me. <laughs> I have less of an idea as to what the answer is with that clue.
2: You you've thrown me off. Yeah. So yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. You wanna don't want to answer easy. yet. Okay. Well, we well yeah. Some yeah. You're 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 a fan of this genre as well. I'm probably going too far, or have been in the past.
1: Oh, was is is it of A particular interest because it happened to be a Monday night. Is that what you're trying to say? Correct.
2: Monday night of a big week for a certain
1: industry. I still have that on uh, tape, uh, as a matter of fact. (laughs) I will go back. I DVR'd that. I stuck with the baseball, the hockey, and the basketball. But, oh, yes, I'll be going back to what you are referring to. But apparently they think you're a Hoop fan because— most of the votes coming in for uh, the
2: Baylor Gonzaga championship game. I, I am a hoops man, and that was the back and forth. That was the back and forth. Really?
1: Aspect. Yes. Let's uh, see. I'm a Phillies Flyers guy, so I was actually leaning toward those, and it actually annoyed me greatly that by the time I got back over to hoops, because it didn't start till after nine, so the Flyers game and Philly games were certainly both underway. I flipped over. It was like nineteen to seven. Uh, it was yeah, already a 12-point yeah. deficit that Gonzaga was facing. Yeah. I said, damn. So I kind of paid less attention to it than I was planning on. And I don't think I missed much other than some outstanding Baylor defense. Let us tip our hats to the Baylor Bears for their championship. Uh, just a phenomenal season they had. They were the number two team in the country all year. And they took on number one last yeah. game of the season. And they blew them off the court. So good for Baylor. They deserve the championship. But I took some calls last night on WIP. Uh, at least one who tried to put Gonzaga in a place and a, a
2: plays in a phony conference. They're really not that good. It was a gonna... great team. It was a great team. You know, sometimes that's the beauty of the NCAA tournament, Jody. You can have upsets one game situation. Unfortunately, you had the great, great game, the historic game in the semifinals. You'd like to get that in the finals, but look, Baylor's great. Doesn't mean Gonzaga was a bad team. In fact, they were historically dominant. They were destroying everybody by double digits the entire year. Uh, but, you know, one and done is one and done. That's why we've had so many great moments in that tournament's history throughout the years. It's not best of seven. Usually best of seven, the best team wins.
1: Right. And off what I saw last night in the best of seven, I think Baylor would yeah, won yeah. as well. But the one game wasn't really close. And tip of the cap to Baylor. They're the best team in the country. They, If they weren't during the year that they trailed Gonzaga, it's nice when it comes down to one versus two. And they decided on the floor and forget the debates that Jody McDonald and John McMullen are going to have as who's the best team in the nation. Now there is no debate. But I also think there's no debate that Gonzaga was really good. And if they had won last night and went undefeated, it should have been put on the Pantheon of College Basketball Achievements because it's been 45 years since we had an undefeated team. I know their conference is not killer, but they played a tough pre-conference schedule, including a game with Baylor that was supposed to be played. that got canceled because of COVID. These two teams were supposed to play. And I had completely forgotten this, John. I mentioned it on my uh, weekend show. I'll do so again here. Baylor and Gonzaga were scheduled to play uh, December. uh, No, excuse me. Um, was it january it was it was like the third or fourth game of the season very early in the season in a uh neutral site game do you know where it was supposed to be played
2: Hmm. let's see Ballers in waco right uh, and gonzaga's out where would that no i don't That's state of strange... washington it really is strange yeah
1: it was scheduled to be played in indianapolis where they ended up playing anyway Man. for the championship of college basketball. Just so happened the game gets canceled in Indianapolis. Yeah, we'll meet you back here in a couple of months and we'll decide who the champion is. Very ironic. Um, but Baylor uh, was great all year. So was Gonzaga. I don't know why people feel the need to bring Gonzaga down. No. a peg. It no. doesn't make any sense to me. That's stupid.
2: That's what but, people do. I mean, and they have this great season. They come up uh, slightly small at the end, and you want to disparage everything they did. That's the problem, unfortunately. You know, you, you look at just the semifinal, Jalen Suggs, who, interestingly enough, football cousin of Terrell Suggs, uh, the old great pass rusher, um, I mean, that's one of the great moments in tournament history. That that was unbelievable. And, you know, to, I in a lot of ways, I compare it to the Minneapolis Miracle. You remember the Vikings were dead and buried. Um, Stephon Diggs makes the big play. They come to Philadelphia the next week. They, they play well for about five minutes, and then the, the <laughs> doors are blown off. <laughs> you know, would you have that big of a high? It's tough to come back again in that next game. Uh, And I think that's what happened a little bit to Gonzaga. Not to take anything away from Baylor. Baylor was was tremendous. But I do think there's a human nature aspect to that type of excitement and trying to get it back right away. All
1: right. Before we uh, start, uh, we do want to get into the new Eagle coaching staff today. Big part of the Eagles' upcoming season is the fact Doug Peterson was let go. A great number of the Eagles coaches were told their service was no longer needed. Some were retained by the new head coach. And the head coach had more leverage in hiring his staff than the Super Bowl coach ever did, it seems to us. And we'll get into all of that in just a second. But, John, I think we have a winner. Somebody on the stream guessed last night while all those sporting events were on, you aren't necessarily watching sports. You're watching the Golden Girls. (laughs) <laughs> is that is that
2: correct incorrect but but you know just add a word in front of entertainment how many hints do I have to give something uh, entertainment you could right. argue it, it it meshes with uh, you know people were wondering whether when I would make the first comment or the first remark towards this industry in our show so here we are Show number right. two. Well, now
1: that now that we've gone there, and uh, thank you for whoever gave us the Golden Girls suggestion, or yes, uh, attempt at humor. Good job. Um, I've had you on my show almost every single week all year. I told this story I was, when I was on the middle with those guys last week with Harry and uh, Eitan and, and Barrett. I heard you on with Harry and Tony Bruno. And I had read you in Sports Illustrated. I had uh, seen you jump into Philly Voice. I thought we got another good football writer in town, was excited for it. And I heard you on Bruno and Mays' show. And I said, damn, this guy's good on the air. And I reached out to Harry because Harry and I used to be partners uh, on uh, the other station in town. Now, 97.5, back when we were there, it was just 9.50 a.m. So Harry and I text every once in a blue moon. And I reached out and said, hey, do you have John McMullen's number? I want to see if I can just reach out, get this guy on one of my shows. I think he's really good on the air. And he gave me your number. I texted you, you said you'd come on. And then you were great. Came on basically every single week with me all year long. had an outstanding uh, run this season, and I thank you for that. We stick to the Eagles. When you and I are on uh, the radio together, we pretty much stick to the Eagles. I had no idea you were a huge wrestling fan until you (laughs) said this just now. How long
2: have you been a wrestling fan? Oh, wow. Now I'm going to date myself. Probably, uh, I'm going to say 1980, maybe. That's how long it's been. Uh, Then you're
1: a babe in the woods. I've been watching wrestling much longer than you. Who was the main commentator when you started watching the WWF? Uh, It was Vince and Pat Patterson. Okay. All right. Well, if you go back to Vince, then yes, you and I are of a similar length of being a fan of the show. Um, I tell, I've told a story on the air. We'll tell it the first time ever on the stream. When I was 15 years old, 16 years old, 17 years old, before I was 18, for sure. I was in high school at the time. Uh, My mother used to say, I want you in at 1130. And I would say, mom, just make it midnight. And she said, no, yeah, I need you in by 11.30. 30. That's where you If you, That's if where you make it midnight, yeah. you know I'm going to be in because wrestling comes on at midnight. And I'm not going to miss wrestling. So rather than us get annoyed because I come in 25 minutes late and you'd want me at 11.30, just say, let's say 11.55. <laughs> and then everybody will be happy. No, I need you in by 11.30. And I come at 11.55 and I get in trouble. But you would at least let me watch wrestling at midnight, Saturday night, Every Saturday night. So yes, you and I have been following this quote-unquote sport for a long time. And I still love it. And uh, way back when, I used to do a wrestling hour on New York Radio on WFAN back in the 80s when I was on. Uh, now it's basically mainstream and a billion-dollar industry, but uh, I've been following it for a long time, too. I didn't know you were that big a wrestling fan, Johnny. No,
2: and Monday night was the start of WrestleMania week. So WrestleMania is this weekend in Tampa, same place as the Super Bowl, Raymond James Stadium. It's on Saturday and Sunday this year. And the first time fans will be allowed back since the start of the pandemic. So that's, you know, it's a big deal. Who is your favorite uh, WWE wrestler right now? Wow, that's a good question. Right now, probably, well, Brock Lesnar, but he's not uh, active right now. So I would go down to... um, Probably, I like what Drew McIntyre has been doing. I think it's. I I think it's a shame that he's he's sort of broken out as a star uh, during the pandemic. So you don't have that 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 uh, connection with the fans to know how well he's doing. But I think he's. I think he's hitting a home run. So do
1: I, and I was, and I still am, but I'm just. Forever, my favorite wrestler was Roman Reigns, and I liked Roman Reigns when he was a babyface and a popular guy, and I thought... yeah I like amazing. him now. I like the heel. You like him as a heel, and oh, I yeah. knew at some point they were going to make him a heel, and he has done well as a heel, and it took him a long time to turn him to a heel because he got booed a lot, and much like John Cena, he got booed as a babyface. And at some point, you got to be able to pull the plug and turn them to heel. They never did that with Cena, by the way. Uh, and I yeah. knew they were going to do it with Reigns, but uh, I'm a babyface guy. And McIntyre, uh, even though he spent a lot of his career as a heel, is now a babyface. And I'm a and heel guy. I'm a Ric Flair guy, so. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a babyface. I'm an optimist. What can I tell you? <laughs> All right, uh, Johnny Mac, let's talk some Eagles coaching staff. Um You and I, uh, leading up to the offseason, talked as much as we could about Doug Peterson and the season that he had and the position that he was in with the Philadelphia Eagles. My position was, when the season was coming to an end, was uh, pretty standard. I did not move off it, That I thought Doug Peterson needed to be retained that while he had a lousy season and I was willing to put a lot of blame for the Eagles' putrid offense on his plate and his play calling, we were still just two-plus years removed from him being a Super Bowl-winning coach. If you wanted to take a major reaction to the hideous season the Eagles had, all right, well, then you can give Doug his walking papers. But, oh, by the way, you need to give Howie his walking papers, too. And you get out the broom and you sweep the whole place clean – and you restart the entire organization. I thought it was woefully unfair that Peterson got the heave-ho and Howie Roseman was allowed to continue on in his position as the general manager. Did the Eagles do Doug dirty?
2: Yeah. I don't don't see how you can look at it any other way. You're talking about a a head coach fired less than three calendar years off a Super Bowl championship. I mean – what else do you say? I, I I, mean, we always joke there's a lifetime dispensation card if you win a Super Bowl. There certainly should be in a city where they had never won one and they were looking for a championship for the first time since 1960. And he didn't last three years. I still sit here today and shake my head. I don't know how that happened. And it happened because the owner has gotten deeper and and, and, and more deeply ingrained into the day-to-day operations of the team. And we're going to have Rob Motty on in the second hour from the AP. I want to ask Rob as well, um, you know, why is Jeffrey Laurie getting into the weeds when it comes to assistant coaches? We all know owners in this league, Jody, they have to be involved in the big decisions, the head coach, the quarterback even. You could argue the coordinators. I can buy that. Jeffrey Laurie's getting involved with position coaches? Where, where's the expertise? Where's the common sense? I'm I, I'm I'm amazed at the lack of autonomy he gave Doug Peterson. Not at first, that's fine. You know, Doug was a first-time coach. Um, you know, he was taking a bit of a jump. He didn't get interviews. You you could put him on a short leash, but he earned the rights. And Jeffrey Glory, by the end, was telling him every year he. Doug Peterson did not want to fire Mike Rowe. Doug Peterson did not want to fire Carson Walsh. Now, I know the fans did, but Doug should have the right to have his own assistant coaches. And that's why I came to the loggerheads after this season. The Eagles were going to keep Doug Peterson, but they put that on him. You've got to make these changes. And Doug said, no, I want to elevate Press Taylor to be offensive coordinator. I want to elevate Matt Burke to be defensive coordinator. Jeffrey Laurie said no. Hey, and then he hires, by the way, Jody, a first-time head coach, and Nick Sirianni. It gives him more autonomy oh, over yeah. his head, head, over his coaching staff than the guy who won the Super Bowl. How does that make any sense?
1: It it doesn't, and it still boggles my mind, and that's why I want to get into the whole stamp that Nick Sirianni, with slight help. Less help than Doug Peterson ever got uh, as assembled the staff that he's got. But before we go there, were you on Eagles beat for SI when Doug was hired and the, the first staff in the Peterson, now begun Peterson era was put together?
2: Not SI, but I was here uh, working for another outlet. So, yeah, I was here okay. for every day uh, of the Doug Peterson era. How
1: much do you think that first staff that Doug had was because Jeff Laurie and Howie Roseman wanted to be in control of that staff? Or how much of it was when Doug came in, Doug was so married to being a play caller, just happy to have an NFL job, when the Eagles suggested we still have some coaches under contract because remember chip kelly was fired uh before the eagles were planning on firing him he had time left on his contract a lot of the assistant coaches had times left on their contract and uh from when you make that kind of a change you tell a new head coach we at least sit with these guys have a meeting with these guys If you like them a lot, you can keep them. And, oh, by the way, save the organization a bunch of money. Um, But if you don't, well, then we'll fill out the rest of your staff as you see fit. How much of it was that the Eagles pushed Doug to keep as many coaches as he did? Or how much of it was Doug was like, hey, I'm the head coach. You surround me with anybody you want. I'm cool with that.
2: Well, yeah. I, I mean, Jody, that happens everywhere, to be fair. I, I mean, every coaching change, you do have a group of assistant coaches sometimes that are under, usually that are under contract and you want to keep, sometimes because you don't want to go out and did it, pay a different coach, but sometimes because you really like the coach and you want to keep them around. So that part of it's not that rare. I don't have an issue with the Eagles. But, you know, now that I look back on it, you know, one of the interesting things about their narrative when it comes to giving Nick Siriani more of a rope than Doug Peterson, I found I find so counterintuitive. So I want to run this by you. Number one. The, the theory is that Doug, remember, Doug came in under Andy Reid here and, and, and left with Andy Reid when Andy got fired and went to Kansas City. So he was never with another coach. He didn't build relationships around the league with different staffs. So what the Eagles say to me is Nick Sirianni's been in different places, whether it was the Chargers, the Colts, going back to his, uh, you know, uh, all the way when he started, uh, he he built relationships. He had a bigger networking uh, uh, pool, so to speak, to draw from. But my my point is, and this is kind of we'll go all the way back to the draft when people criticize Justin Fields. You're a fan of him. I'm a fan of him. Some people say he can't get to his second or third progression. And Justin Fields says to them, If my if my first progression is open, I'm gonna throw the 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 football is not that the way football works you have a first read if the
1: first read is there you take the first read that's why it is the first read because the coaching staff believes it's going to be a successful play if
2: the guy's open, you throw him the football exactly so my point being if you're a coach and you're under a successful head coach and you're not getting fired why the heck are you going to leave them So you're either unsuccessful, you're getting fired, and you're networking, and that gives you a better chance to develop relationships, to get coaches. That's what I find completely counterintuitive. I mean, you're penalizing Doug Peterson for having success? It's bizarre to me. Agreed. But just let me spin
1: it off this way. If you disagree with me, please feel free to do so and tell me I'm wrong. Um, I remember when Andy got the job, and – Uh, I was on WIP with my other Mac partner, uh, Glenn Macdown. We had uh, Jeff on shortly after the hire. And I remember Lori telling us one of the things that impressed him about Andy Reid. Because when Andy Reid was hired by the Philadelphia Eagles, not only had he never been a head coach before, he hadn't even been a coordinator yet. He had only been a positional coach in Green Bay. And it seemed like a kind of a risque, if not avant-garde type selection. And Jeff Lurie came on our show and told us one of the things, in one of many things, but one of the things that really stood out, jumped out to him was Andy Reid for his interview came in and he had binders full of reports and reasons yeah. on why he was going to target specific individuals to join him and help him make up his coaching staff. And he believed these were the best individuals that if the Eagles could get him involved, they could put a hell of a coaching staff together in Philadelphia. And Oh, by the way, a lot of those coaches have gone on to be very successful head
2: coaches in the National Football League. That 1990 staff was, 99 staff was unbelievable. I mean, they're, yeah. So, you're right. And I, what I would say to that is Andy Reid is one of the greatest coaches of all time. So it doesn't surprise me that he was very organized early on. And I know Joe Banner, I was trying to get Joe Banner on the show. He's had back surgery. I know um, that Joe regards that as his best moment in Philadelphia, hiring Andy Reid. So one, I would say Andy's a little bit different, but number two, is the fact that, okay, you you know, it was pretty clear the Eagles didn't believe in Doug Peterson when it came to his assistant coaching staff because it was pretty consistent. Um, But I will say this, Jody, you know, if you go back to 2016, the Eagles were considering moving on from Doug Peterson after one season. And more so uh, after they decided to, to stay the course, which thankfully they did. They wanted to fire Frank Reich, who they gave to Doug Peterson. And it was Doug Peterson who saved Frank Reich's job and sort of went to the, uh, uh, you know, went to the wall for him and 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 kept Frank Reich around. The Eagles, because your team, the New York Jets, wanted to hire John Filippo as the offensive coordinator, the Eagles wanted to sort of satisfy him and elevate him. And my point being, they never trusted Doug with the um, assistant coaching staff and again i don't necessarily have a problem with that in 2016 i have a problem with that post 2017 right super bowl win yes that from that point forward he's earned that right and i i i will forever believe that the
1: the point i Uh, getting to about Andy Reid and him having binders full of assistant coaches. We know how good that group has become over the last 20 years. When Doug showed up to get the job and interviewed, I'm pretty sure he didn't have any binders with him. I'm pretty sure he was very open-minded to what the Eagles were suggesting as to what his staff could be. If he was an underling of Andy Reid, at some point, Uh, You got to look to the guy. If he's done what he's done in his career and had the run that he had here in Philadelphia and he takes you to Kansas city and you're building the program there and you're getting some good press and you're getting interviews was Doug Peterson that above the fray that he just didn't sit down and say, yo, Andy, I'm going to get my first interview here. Any tips, any pointers you've only been coaching in the league 20 plus years. I would think Doug be a bright enough guy to say, hey, Andy, can you give me a helping hand here so that maybe I can get the job? Oh, by the way, you're going to interview for the team that hired Andy Reid, and you two guys came together in 1999 when he brought you in as the backup quarterback. Did Doug just not care? Did he not even ask Andy how he should handle it? Because the way
2: Andy handled it and the way we assume Doug handled it seemed to be night and day. Now, I, uh, one thing I know about Andy Reid, he takes tremendous pride, Jody, in his guys going on to becoming head coaches because his tree has become what it's become. And there are certain coaches who don't groom their assistants to be head coaches. Andy's the exact opposite. As I said, he takes pride in it. So I'm sure he had those conversations with Doug Peterson and things you have to do. Uh, you know. But on the other hand, You have to say to yourself, okay, you know, Doug wasn't on anybody's radar. Uh, There's a bit of revisionist history. The Eagles wanted to hire Adam Gase. They wanted to hire Ben McAdoo. Ben McAdoo, yeah, was on the turnpike coming down to accept the job when the Giants got him to turn around. Uh, and, And and so you can imagine how bad things have gone, especially if Gase was here. Gase demanded. 53-man uh, roster uh, um, power, and they were just coming off Chip Kelly and just wouldn't come off that point. So that's what kind of derailed uh, Adam Gase to Philadelphia. So, you know, Doug was at best plan C. I'm not even bringing up Tom Coughlin. There's varying uh, degrees of, some people say there were significant interest there. Some people say it was a little bit overblown. But at best case scenario, he was plan C. So my, my point at that stage is he's not getting other interviews. So, yes, he's willing to accept certain things to be a head coach. There's only 32 of these jobs. I think that part of it is completely fair. But I look at this team, and you, we'll go back to Andy Reid again. Well, We go back to 2016 and Doug's first receivers coach. We often joke there was no – You know, every year there was a different receivers coach with this team. Greg Greg Lewis was number one. Doug Peterson wanted to keep him, okay? He was overruled. Greg was fired. Where did he land? With Andy Reid in Kansas City. You know, Ken Flajol was the linebacker's coach here for years. Uh, People say the Eagles needed an upgrade, blah, blah, blah. He's too old. Social Security, that kind of stuff. Who hires him last week? Andy Reid. Are these, does, assistant, are these assistant coaches that bad? I don't, You tell uh, me.
1: I don't uh, think they were that bad either, and yes, even though uh, the Doug Peterson era has come to an end here in Philadelphia, I don't think he's going to complain about the way things went for the most part because the Super Bowl is going to weigh, outweigh absolutely everything. All right, I want to get one more uh, point in here with you before we take a timeout and then start to actually analyze the guys that have been hired. You did mention that There was at least a conversation after Doug Peterson's first season um, that the Eagles might be looking to make a change, that it didn't go as planned. Again, I don't think it was all on Doug Peterson. They put the staff together. When I say they, I mean he and Howie. Um, They decided to move away from their proven quarterback, Sam Bradford, and put Carson Wentz in probably a little before his time. I don't think it would have been right to let Doug Peterson go after only one year. They didn't, and the rest, as they say, is history with the Super Bowl that very next season. How close, according to your sources, how close was it that the Eagles were uh to pulling the plug on Doug Peterson after only one year?
2: I don't think it was terribly close. I, I think it was closer that they were gonna pull the plug on Frank Reich, which is interesting because of the revisionist history now and obviously frank is is regarded uh and he is a very good nfl head coach but in this city he's regarded as even more than that because of the super bowl because of how things have gone bad with doug peterson and now frank is given the credit and the offense went down when he left you know the story jody so yeah. um and and by the way the new coach nick sirianni is a now a Frank Reich acolyte. So they picked up the phone and said, hey, Frank, who should we hire? And it's interesting to me that you go back to 2016 after that season and they said, okay, this isn't going to work. And Doug Peterson, uh, as I said, saved Frank Reich's job. Uh, But that – so that to me was the bigger issue. And a lot of that, to be honest, Jody, also had to do with John DiFilippo and the fact that the Jets wanted him – uh, the Eagles had him under contract, blocked him, so he was not happy about that, uh, and they wanted to make him happy. So it wasn't all um, they thought uh, Frank did a bad job. It was just they were trying to make a decision. They wanted to keep John DiFilippo. But I will say this. I, I think 2016, you mentioned Carson Wentz. They traded Sam Bradford, I think it was 11 days before yeah. the start of the regular season. That's when Teddy Bridgewater got hurt. That was that horrific injury. So the Vikings were in panic mode. The Eagles were able to take advantage of that. And Carson Wentz had done nothing in the preseason. Remember, he was injured. He got injured. I I believe it was a broken rib at the time. Um, So he barely had a preseason. And then all of a sudden, it's week one. You got 11 days to get a, a rookie quarterback ready who's coming in from North Dakota State Uh, obviously not Alabama, not Oklahoma, not Clemson, North Dakota State, and they ended up winning seven games that year. I think it was a darn good job, to be honest. And, oh, by the way,
1: the thing that most – I was just blatantly uh, flat-out wrong about the way that went down. On the day that I was on the air that they ended up trading um, Bradford I said, well, then guess what? Get ready for the Chase Daniels era because (laughs) they decided that Chase Daniels was this great backup quarterback that they overpaid to bring in here. Well, it was a foregone collusion. You're going to trade Bradford because someone's crazy enough to give you a first-round pick for him? Okay, fine. I'm with you on that. But we got to live through the Chase Daniels era. It just made too much sense because Chase Daniels was Doug Peterson. That's what Doug's job was. When Doug came here to the Eagles as a player, you knew he was a placeholder for whatever the period of time was going to be before Andy Reid was going to turn it over to Donovan McNabb. I absolutely believe that Doug Peters is going to do the same thing with Chase Daniels. A week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, six games at the max, and then Carson Wentz is going to come in. They said, "Now nah, we're not even going to be bothered. Carson, here you are. You're starter week one. You could have knocked me over with a feather that Chase Daniels didn't start week one that year. So Peterson did derivate when he needed to off what looked to be the plan. And yeah, I think he had an overall great career as an Eagles coach. Last season is the reason that he got fired. And the NFL is a tough business. You can go that badly in one year and have it cost your job it did for Doug Peterson so we have a new Eagles coaching staff to talk about when we come back we'll uh, I'll get Johnny Max insight on a couple of the main guys we'll go through them all but uh, I want to get some insights on some of the main guys certainly Nick himself as head coach all the coordinators Eagles coaching staff what we're discussing here on birds 365.
3: If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.
8: The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show. With J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
4: Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle.
7: <laughs> we need a little maze. Wait, wait, yeah. what was the commercial? Yeah, Harry goes, I don't need a little anything. You'd have mm-hmm. Lil' Harry or Lil' Maze. Lil' Maze. And, and you pull <laughs> a Mini string Mays. and it yes. says, I am out. Or sort of like four or five different Maze sayings. Now that's an idea. <laughs> Did you see a Shander doll? It oh, never yeah. stops talking. No, <laughs> you don't even need to pull the string. The
2: Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Maze. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see
1: my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself.
2: The future is where I'll make history.
4: C-A-T-L-E-S-E-O. Jody Ma the legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network.
1: you're hopping aboard here with us on birds 365 it's the mac and mac guys jody mcdonald and john McMullen. here with you we're going to be talking birds 365 the name of the show kind of says it all we'll be doing it each and every single day going forward um johnny mac i did want to do some eagle coaching staff today because i think it's important uh major aspect of the change this organization underwent during the off season was the uh retooling of the coaching staff doug peterson out and nick sirianni in we started the top with sirianni a-, a bit of a surprise choice wasn't a candidate who was getting other interviews out there with other teams uh, they met with him. He won the owner over. They were pretty aggressive in getting the contract done and getting him in. Did the Eagles get their right guy in with Nick Sirianni?
2: Well, I, I don't think anybody knows. If, if you were asking me, I think the right guy was Doug Peterson. I've been very, very consistent with that. I, I don't think they should have moved on. I think it was a mistake. So from that point forward, I, I do think, and this was a strange marriage. I, I do think if her were left to his own devices, I think Howie Roseman would have hired Josh McDaniels. I think he'd be the head coach of the up Eagles, which is interesting. And I criticized Jeffrey Lurie a lot through this process, but one place where I did not, Jody, he recognized that that would not work. Look, Josh McDaniels can say, Uh, everything right, Howie Roseman can say all the right things, those two would have not gotten along long-term, and that would have blown up, and there would have been a similar situation uh, to what happened with Chip Kelly. So from that standpoint, I think Jeffrey Glory did a good job in saving Howie Roseman from himself. I'm sure the fans are not going to like to hear that. Uh, And then you move forward. They went through this exhaustive search. I think they interviewed 10 different candidates. I think he was going to keep going, Jody, until he found somebody that he liked better than Josh McDaniels, and that's how he landed on Nick Sirianni. But he certainly wasn't, uh, as we went back to 2016, Doug Peterson, Plan C. I don't know what you want to call uh, Nick Sirianni, but wasn't Plan A. I will say that. At least on my airwaves, on the
1: shows that I did, and there are many reasons why it would be the case, I want to get yours. It seemed that Deuce Staley was the most popular choice. Not that Eagle Nation should decide who the Eagle coach is. I do believe Jeff Lurie has a pretty good read on the pulse of the Eagles fans. And I think he acknowledges them. And I think uh, when it's a... A perfect fit for him he'll do what the fans want him to do that was not the case here nobody really was thinking about Nick Sirianni until he got the job people seem to want to see a homegrown guy get a shot and do Staley be the choice he got an interview again he has moved up the ranks in the Eagle coaching staff but never when he is interviewed for the head coaching job before including when Doug Peterson got it uh just several years ago I never felt that Deuce was a main candidate. Should he have been? Did the Eagles not give Deuce a fair shake in this? Is Deuce going to get a head coaching job in this league some year?
2: Well, I I think it's up to Deuce and what he does with the Detroit Lions. Dan Campbell, we mentioned, uh, I I mentioned Doug Peterson and, uh, and, excuse me, Andy Reid and the fact that he takes pride in sort of grooming his guys to be a head coach. From everything Dan Campbell has said um, when it comes to Deuce Staley, he is going to to groom him. He he has said on, on the record, this is a real assistant head coach. This is not a title. This is my guy. This is the second in command. And if the Lions turn that around, because I think a lot of people look at that hire, Dan Campbell, and say that's not the best hire in the world. So, if he ends up elevating that program, which has not been very successful, I think there is a very good chance Duke Staley becomes a head coach in this league. But I will say he had to leave here. The Eagles were not seriously considering him. He wasn't going to be a head coach here. For whatever reason, uh, it just wasn't on their plate. And maybe it's it comes back to a little of what Jeffrey Lurie said about Nick Sirianni. Nick Sirianni was in Kansas City. He was with the Chargers. He was with the Colts. He had been in different places. You know, Jeffrey Lurie kind of intimated. Deuce probably had to go somewhere else to get a little bit of different experience. I don't necessarily agree with it, but that's how the way the Eagles and Jeffrey Lurie specifically looked at it. All right.
1: So Sirianni becomes the choice. His experience is what it is. Anytime you get someone who's uh, becoming a head coach for the first time on any significant level, I'm not going to count high school football as a significant level. It's a bit of a stretch. It's a bit of a reach. It's a bit of a gamble. Why is Nick Sirianni going to be able to, if not hit the ground running, at least be able to get his footing year one as the head coach of the birds?
2: Look, I I say about head coaches, and I said this about Doug Peterson, and I think it's pretty evident that if you're hiring a scheme, you're you're making the wrong decision. Coaching is about teaching. It's about reaching people. It's about relationships. It's about managing personalities. That's what Doug Peterson did so well right up until he wasn't able to do it with Carson Wentz at the end. Uh, Can Nick Sirianni do that? I don't know. You saw the energy, Jody let's talk some ball uh, i i mean to me it seemed a little orchestrated uh trying to uh you know his opening press conference was probably not the best uh i think he he rebounded a little bit in, in press conference number 2 but none of that matters winning a press conference uh, looking good in front of the media you know Doug was killed when he got here uh uh, because of his uh, inability to handle press conferences. So none of that matters. Can he manage personalities? Can he uh, uh, get everybody moving in the same direction? Can he handle 65 guys in that locker room? Uh, he has no experience to do that. I will say this, Jody, there's going to be growing pains. There's going to be growing pains. It's a matter of can he get through those growing pains? I've uh,
1: told this story on here many a time. Uh, I've been through several Eagle coaching hires, being on the air in town, uh, mostly on rather than off over the last 30 some odd years. The coach who motivated me the most was Ray Rhodes. After his opening press conference, I was ready to strap on the pads and try and run through a wall. I thought he was phenomenal. He had me pumped up and psyched for the upcoming season. And race career here in town was what it was. Got off to a decent start, but then went backwards pretty badly, pretty quickly. Um, so you can't judge by first press conference. You're absolutely yeah, right about no. that. Um, so Sirianni the head coach, and he's put his staff together. He's an offensive guy. He was offensive uh, coordinator under Frank Reich in Indianapolis. So his offensive coordinator has got to come in and know that he's not full autonomy that he might be given a chance to call plays, and he's certainly going to be a guy who they're going to lean on. But when you've got a head coach who's coming from the same side of the ball that you are, you're not even 1A. You're B. There's A and then there's B. Shane Steichen and his relationship with the head coach and how they're going to call the plays and the like, I know they haven't really committed to anything. How do you think it's going to break out?
2: Well, I do think it's going to be very similar to Doug's relationship with Frank Reich and Frank's relationship with Nick Sirianni in Indianapolis. It's going to be a a guy who's running the offensive meetings. uh, And I'm talking about uh, the delegation uh, as far as Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen. So Shane will run the meetings. Uh, He'll be heavily involved in game planning, but Nick Sirianni is going to call the plays and it's his first time uh, calling plays. So, you always have to, and, and that's a big thing, by the way, Jody, because Doug Peterson, same thing with him. Uh, Andy would give him uh, a quarter here, a quarter there, but never full-time did he call plays in Kansas City. So when he arrived here, it was the first time for him as well. Um, and people get really caught up into that. And I, I, I think it's overrated. I always say, we, we don't judge play calls, Jody. We judge uh, results. play results. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We judge results. You have no idea what – run. now, you can be a film guy. You can get the 99 bucks up for NFL Game Pass, and you can say this guy made this mistake. Bottom line is it's about execution. So the old great John McKay line uh, with the horrible Buccaneers, ears, one of my favorite NFL lines ever, uh, asked about your team's execution. I'm all for it. That's what the NFL is about. That's what it's always been about. You think about it. I just mentioned that. You can go on NFL Game Pass today, get the all 22. Who do you like? Kyle Shanahan. Who do do you like? Andy Reid. You can copy everything they do. It's about teaching it, and it's about executing it. And and that's where they'll be judged ultimately. And it's all a big unknown, let's be honest.
1: Uh, we're talking Eagles coaching staff here on birds 365 about the head coach about the offense coordinator, defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon. um, Again, uh, certainly a pick by the head coach to come in here and run this defense, the defenses that he's been associated with certainly different than the one Jim Schwartz's have been associated with the Eagles have a little bit of a turnover, couple of free agents lost, a couple of free agents added. Um, there will be new personnel on the defensive side of the ball. Will the defense look different? Will it play defense? different what do you think gannon is going to try and implement in here as the new eagles take
2: well i think you look at indianapolis and you look at what they did there and also before he was in indianapolis he was with mike zimmer in minnesota uh for a long time so i think you look at those two particular defense a lot of similarities i think they're going to place more emphasis on the linebacker position you think about darius leonard Uh, and what he was for the Colts defense, what he is. You think about Eric Kendricks in Minnesota, Anthony Barr. So I I do think they'll put more emphasis on that position. I think you'll see more cover two, cover cover three on the back end. You know, the one sort of high-profile signing the Eagles have made is Anthony Harris, who was in Minnesota with Gannon, with Zimmer, had a lot of success as a coverage safety Uh, So I think you have a a few hints, a few uh, uh, crumbs to lead you to what it's going to look like. And it is going to be a little bit different, Uh, but it's going to be a four, three. It's going to first and foremost. I mean, Mike Zimmer's the same as Jim Swartz when it comes to the defensive line. He, he, He needs pass rushers. He's successful with pass rushers. He wants to get home with four. The difference is, All that A-gap stuff. They like to sugar the A-gaps. They like to fool the quarterback. They like to uh, drop out into coverage with Kendricks and Barr. Sometimes they blitz. Sometimes both blitz. Sometimes one split. A lot of different things. Very complex defense. Question is, can you teach it? Because when you get into a complex defense, everybody's got to be on the same page. Then are they going to be able to understand
1: it, even if you can teach it well? You got to be able to get it uh, through to your players, and we'll see if the Eagles have that right group. All right, we gave you a look at a couple Eagles coaches. We'll probably get a couple more in uh, before we wrap up today's show. But we need to take a time out here because we got a guest scheduled to join us Rob Marty, covered the Eagles for years for the Associated Press. Actually had a pretty good working relationship, maybe the best working relationship in town with the ex-Eagle quarterback, Carson Wentz. Rob Motti joins us next here on Birds 365.
3: If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.
4: Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way.
5: The the, the Middle The Middle I know we are going to get on that but I I, I got to say happy birthdays to the to the kids in the stream you know what I'm saying we we looking we checking it out happy birthday to your, your kids man
6: you know
7: what I'm to saying
6: To who Your kids man I'm watching the stream man What's it's double birthdays you got to keep
7: your yeah. eyes off that stream <laughs> yeah, seriously <man. laughs> I, t- no, You of I mean, the conversation I, with the stream and nobody has any idea what you're you You got to give about. us That's a, why a heads up get you because that get yeah. you hip to it. No, 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 no. We I, have no I'm idea what you're talking bro. about. So now we're in the middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Happy birthday! Like, whoa, whoa. Happy birthday no, to who? No, I have no I idea who? what's I, going, I, on like, right I, I going on right now. I can just imagine right. people listening on Sports Map Radio, just like, what did you just say? Who's talking? Action, real.
5: Play Action Real. His son, Nick. Happy birthday, bro. It All day, right.
7: Now, now, everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, okay. 16 I today. Yeah. I yeah. Calling BS today. Seriously. This is like A.C. Green selling that he right. was a virgin back with Showtime.
2: The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern.
8: The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show, with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So, when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
5: The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers. We are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds. And planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming. It's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future.
4: B-A-T-L-E-N-E-O! Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network.
1: You're checking out Birds 365 here on the Jacobs Media Network and on phillyvoice.com. Macamac guys, Jody McDonald and John McMullen welcoming in our guest for the day. He's been covering the Eagles for years now for the Associated Press. Good to see he's got the AP backdrop going and he's got some seriously good product in the hair. Stick, Stick up big time. In comparison to the Mac, and Mac guys here. uh Rob By the way, we had
2: we had Joe Santa Luquito on yesterday. We had Ed Kratz on. So Rob, you're the first guy on this show with that. So congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it looks like when I just wake up and I just slept on it, man. This is it's
1: some good stuff. It's for sure. <laughs> As 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 uh, John points out, better than uh, the people that you're on with right now. Uh, don't be making fun of your own hair. We're quite jealous. I right, uh, Rob. How has your off season been? I haven't talked to you, man.
6: Is there an off season anymore? There really isn't, right? It, NFL is like like the show three sixty five, twenty four seven, constantly busy. Uh there's whether even in the pandemic year, I found last year that it was even busier because you're always looking for different angles, different stories, different ideas, different things to do. Uh so it's uh I'm I'm ready to go, get ready for this draft, and we're still a little bit two weeks out.
2: So, Rob, obviously the biggest news this offseason uh, for the Eagles was the shift from Carson Wentz to trade out to Indianapolis and, yeah. and Jalen Hurts taking over. As the quarterback here in Philadelphia, uh, you were on top of that story uh, from the beginning. Uh, have a a very close relationship with Carson Wentz, and 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 just the relationship between Carson, Doug Peterson, and the Eagles organization. That three pronged effect. I know there's been a lot of disinformation. Just kind of run that down, and 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 how you think everything sort of unfolded.
6: I think one of the biggest pieces of misinformation was the relationship between Doug and and Carson being sour, which I didn't think it was. Doug himself told me a couple times after the season that there really was no issues with Carson Wentz. And that was, I think, blown up a little bit out of proportion. And it, it appeared when Doug was let go, there were some people who, I think even Troy Aikman said it, in, in a show with uh, a podcast with Michael Irvin, that it came down to Doug or Carson, which it didn't. But I think that it was portrayed that way. It was it was either Doug or Carson, and once Doug was fired, that Carson had won this power struggle. There was no power struggle, and we've come to find out. Doug said that to me. He said it to John Clark, I think, on uh, John's podcast a couple weeks back, that there really were no issues between him. And Carson went. So that was one piece of misinformation of so many guys. And, and there's so many narratives that are pushed out there, so many different things that are driven. And, and I think most of the talking comes out of uh, the Novacare building because Carson never said anything on the record to anybody. He didn't really say anything off the record. He just didn't speak. He didn't want to talk to anybody. He wanted to go away, think about his future, uh, let the team come to a determination. And I think the team, there was a lot of mixed feelings. There there were some people who thought, hey, we're paying this guy a lot of money. Let's try and let's try and fix him. Let's see what we can do to fix him. We're paying him a lot of money. We invested a lot in him. Let's see what we can do. Then there were some thought that, hey, we're in a rebuilding stage. Jalen Hurts showed that he's a guy who's worthy of a stronger look, a deeper look. Maybe we go in that direction and use Carson as draft capital. When Carson uh, makes it clear that he would prefer a fresh start, I think that's what laid the foundation for, all right, let's go in that direction. Let's trade Carson and let's think about building around Jalen Hurts. But at the same time, the Eagles, the way they value the quarterback position, they're just not going to sit there and say, all right, here, Jalen Hurts, it's it's your team. They considered trading up and I know they did. And I know that was reported a couple of weeks back. They looked at it. They thought about it. They investigated the possibilities. But ultimately, they traded back in which that means it looks like now they're unofficially committing to jail. And you bring in Joe Flacco. I don't think anybody really thinks he's going to compete for the starting job, but they're going to give Jalen Hurts an opportunity to be the starting quarterback. And I think that's what they need to do.
1: Rob, you mentioned all the narratives that were out there and all the information that was out there from the time the season ended up until when Carson was traded. Um, you rightfully point out that Carson wasn't the guy who was saying these things on the record or off the record, but some pretty good reporters were saying, sources close to Carson went according to my sources, and you could read between the lines and know that it was someone who was in Carson Wentz's inner circle who was getting information out there? Or do you think reporters were just throwing stuff at the wall or making stuff up? Was Carson Wentz, well, you're right, he individually didn't get into the muck and the mire. His people certainly were putting their side of the story out. Uh, At least that's the way I read it. You had a good relationship with Carson. How involved were his people in putting the narrative together during this season, Not at
6: all, not at all. And Jody, I don't think that, I don't believe we had reports that said people close to Carson. Most of the reports that were out there uh, in regards to Carson Wentz and the Eagles situation were very vague in how they were, the the terminology and the wording was. So his people were not speaking on his behalf. They they were not going out there and, and pushing this. I think it was clear between the conversations from the Eagles front office and Carson's when you say when we say people his agents and and, uh, I believe Howie Roseman actually referenced his agent Ryan Tolmer a couple times after initially saying his agent and said yeah I should mention him by name they had the conversations made it clear hey he would prefer a fresh start never though at never at any point did he demand the trade hey Trade me or I'm not coming back. Trade me or or I'm going to hold out. I'm going to sit at home. I'm going to take my football and, and run with it. No, it, was never, it never reached that point. So the Eagles knew if there was not a trade that was going to come down that would be in the best interest of the franchise, and I think getting a, a three and a potential one at this stage of where Carson Wentz was coming off the season that he had, as terrible as it was, that was the best you could do. But I think the Eagles felt that if they weren't going to get anything like that, if it was two twos, if it was a three and a four, they didn't have to make the move because they knew that this is a guy who would come in, who would honor his contract, who would compete, who would do the right things, say the right things, and all that stuff. It didn't happen. They got the they got the, the trade done with the Indianapolis Colts and they're able to move forward from there. But there there's a lot of there's a lot of conversations that uh get started based on what we think what we've what's been reported that isn't necessarily accurate and there's just there's just it, i have seen since december where speculation has become all of a sudden turned into actual fact where if someone says i think this player may want this all of a sudden those words are put into the player's mouth and and i think we're treading on dangerous uh, ground here because it's we really have to consider where information is coming from. And the Eagles are really good, guys. The Eagles are really good at controlling the narrative. The Eagles are really good at pushing out a story the way they want it to be spun. They do a terrific job at it. And if they could only draft that well, this team would be a Super Bowl <laughs> contender year in and year out.
2: Yeah, Rob yeah. is correct about that. And you you mentioned uh, moving forward. This team is moving forward. And, I, you know, Rob, you brought up potentially trading up. Uh, the thought is around the league that the Eagles would like Zach Wilson. That that was probably always unlikely. But once San Francisco moved up to number three, there was sort of a firewall between any potential of that. And obviously, Jody's team of the Jets is going to take him anyway at number two. But uh, so the move back and the shift towards Jalen Hurts. Now, when you look back to last season, And I often joke about, you know, I bring up emotional intelligence because Jeffrey Lurie coined it. (laughs) I I think there was a lack of emotional intelligence when you draft Jalen Hurts at 53 with Carson Wentz under contract. Did the Eagles overcorrect that and say, we can't mess with Jalen Hurts' psyche the way we mess with um, Carson Wentz's? And perhaps we should look in a different direction because of that.
6: I think there may have been a little bit to that, John. I think there was. They looked at the situation, and, and obviously Carson Wentz's unraveling, his undoing in Philadelphia began the night the Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts with the 53rd pick in the, in the second round instead of bringing in a player at a position of need. And we all saw how that transpired. And I think there was a little bit of a, a learning process there. If we're going to find out what jalen hurts is let's not push him by bringing in someone else even if it's in a backup situation like i know washington acted quickly and brought in ryan fitzpatrick but if you brought fitz magic here to philadelphia there's going to be a faction of people who say hey he should be a starting quarterback He should at least compete i don't think anybody's saying that in, in regards to joe flacco coming off of what he's done the past couple seasons, so I, I think the Eagles may have looked at it in terms of that, and, and that's good use of the ter- uh, the term. Their emotional intelligence, John. I like
1: that. <laughs> All right, uh, let me use the term you just used, Rob. Competition. Uh, mm-hmm. I was surprised that Carson Wentz blanched at competition coming into this next year. I thought that Doug Peterson was well within his rights to replace him when he did. As big a Carson Wentz fan and backer as I was, Carson was having a god-awful year, and the Eagles needed to do something to jumpstart the team, so they went to uh, their backup quarterback, who's now their starting quarterback. I didn't think Carson Wentz should have had an issue with it. What he said in his Indianapolis press gathering tells you He was ready to move on from the day that he was replaced. He was thinking about, well, maybe Philadelphia isn't the place for me. If he's as competitive as he likes to say he is, which he also said in his Indianapolis press conference, why wouldn't he want to stay here and compete in Philadelphia? He also said in that news conference that there were points uh, later in the
6: season and after the season where he thought about what might happen and we could work it out here. I've heard a lot of people harping on that part of it where he said, yeah, uh, the first time that I thought this might not be it is the Green Bay game. But there was also, and I don't know if it was in that news conference or the next day when he spoke to Pat McAfee, where he talked about, yeah, it took time after the season to think about it. And there was thought that maybe, maybe we do work this situation out. I don't think Carson Wentz was afraid of competition, but I don't know a situation where, you, you bring it, his time here was up for a lot of reasons. And, and part of those reasons have been reported and part of those things have not been reported and haven't been talked about. And, and it's not for me to discuss. But there's been a lot of things that have happened behind the scenes that made this situation very unworkable. And when you reach that point of unworkability, when there's a lack of trust between the franchise quarterback and the front office for reasons beyond what is obvious. Oh, they drafted a quarterback in the second round uh, less than two years after giving him. No, when there's a lack of trust between a franchise player and the front office, that relationship is over. It's over. There's no way you can fix that. And And I think that there's been other situations now that we're starting to find out a little bit about where there, is, there are some issues with the front office, the way they handle certain situations and certain players. And um, that can reach that boiling over point where if you don't have trust in any relationship, if you go out there and you're running around and you're cheating on your wife or you're doing anything like that, that relationship is going to end up uh, in a divorce. And I think the, the Eagles ended up in a divorce here because this was a. a, a a relationship that dissolved because of lack of trust, not because of a competition issue.
2: Well, that's interesting. You bring up lack of trust, Rob. And I think, you know, we all talk about Carson Wentz for obvious reasons, but there's another player that's still here, good friend of Carson Wentz and Zach Ertz. I think we all expected that to have ended by now, but it still pushes forward. Howie has mentioned sometimes you got to be the bad cop. In, in these types of situations The Eagles want value But I go back to that Seattle playoff game And I say to myself Zach Hurt shouldn't have played in that game uh, He had the lacerated kidney He had the broken ribs And I think there was a lack of trust With the organization He said to himself I went out and did this You guys are not sort of returning the favor Is there any way This lack of trust can be repaired when it comes to Zach Ertz? Or is he out the door just a matter of when?
6: Uh, I think he's out the door and it's just a matter of when. I'd be very surprised. And and I've had some conversations with some people uh, close to the situation where there's a lot of bitterness. And uh, I think they view it like this, that the Eagles have been loyal to people in the organization, to players who have done far less or given less of themselves than Zach Ertz. But all of a sudden, they're drawing this hard line stance with a guy who has been that loyal soldier, as you alluded to, played with a lacerated kidney. They don't win the Super Bowl, not just without his touchdown catch, but without the fourth and one catch that gets them to continue that drive. Zach Ertz has given of himself uh, to the community. He's done everything. He's been the consummate professional, the ultimate teammate, and I think that there's a, a feeling of that hasn't been reciprocated and the the situation has reached a point where some are thinking that the Eagles are handling this not as a business, but more as a little bit of a grudge with Zach Ertz, and that's not any way to do business. And I think, John, it's a matter of time. I anticipate probably, maybe even right at or at draft day, it could be one of those. Here's Zach Ertz and a pick, and you move up X amount of spots or whatever. It's un, it's un, it's crazy to think right now that Zach Ertz, as good as he was. Is it worth that high of a pick what the Eagles are looking for? I was told that they were looking for at least a third round pick, that they haven't been able to get at least a third round pick, that they haven't even entertained anything that's not a third round pick. Well, at some point, they're going to have to entertain and even accept it.
1: Understood. Rob, might here with us on. Uh, Bird's 365. I I do want to get back to Carson for just one more question, Rob. You mentioned that it wasn't necessarily a competition thing as to why the Eagles and Carson went their separate ways that, yes, sometimes relationships just get so strained that divorce is inevitable and it ends up happening. That's what happened between these two parties. Uh, You mentioned there were several reasons for it, some of which you couldn't say. Can you give me one? Was there one reason, one example, one aspect of the relationship between the quarterback and the organization that you can point to and say, because of this, this helped to put the wedge between these two parties, or are we just going to have to accept your, well, believe me when I tell you, there were reasons why. Jody, I
6: I can tell you this. So when the narrative is spun a certain way in which after – I believe it was the Arizona game. So it was the Arizona game. Carson Wentz, Uh Jalen Hurts had played against the Saints, led the Eagles to victory. Carson hasn't said anything to anybody at this point, hasn't hasn't made a decision, hasn't come to any conclusions about his future. Yeah, the thoughts come through his mind. Oh, this could be it. I might be done. What's gonna happen? I don't know. All of a sudden, on ESPN, it's reported, and not through any fault of his, of his doing, but Adam Schefter says that if Carson Wentz is going to be a backup quarterback, he may want to be traded. That Those were Adam's exact words. That's not a report that's Adam speculating, hey, if Carson's going to be a backup, he may want to be traded. All of a sudden, that got turned into, that day on the airwaves, everywhere else, that got turned into Carson Wentz uh, is backstabbing Jalen Hurts, sabotaging the team on game day, leaking information to ESPN that he wants out of Philadelphia. Never came from him. Never came from anybody close to him. Adam himself afterwards said, I didn't speak to Carson. I didn't speak to his agent. I. This is what I believe to be true, which was true. Of course, nobody wants to be a backup quarterback. But that was a conversation that many believe was uh, – with the Eagles front office. Eagle generated right. Yeah, When when you see the front office pushing a story, pushing a narrative that paints you as one, Carson versus Doug. No, it's not Carson versus Doug. It's Carson doesn't want to be here. Carson doesn't want to compete. When you see that being driven, I think that contributes to a lack of trust because you're not saying anything, your people aren't saying anything, but people are talking about you to push a narrative that betters their situation and makes them look better. And ultimately, I think that contributes to where we ended up.
2: And you know, Rob, who's got to pick up this mess? Nick Sirianni. So I do got to get your thoughts on (laughs) on Nick Sirianni. And obviously, you mentioned the pandemic. It's difficult in this environment to, to forge relationships and get a feel for these guys until we get back in the building, hopefully at some point. But nonetheless, what are your early thoughts on, on Nick Sirianni? Is he up to this? Uh, is it possible to even know at this point, or is this just a wait and see situation? Man, I don't know.
6: Right. Like we don't know what Nick Sirianni could be. We've seen his energy. We've seen his enthusiasm. We've seen his excitement. He's got all of that. Is that going to translate as a head football coach, I've heard the criticism, and I think it's a little bit unfair. People equating him to being in a rah-rah type high school football coach. Let's see what he could do when he goes out there. He's had some sex success with three different quarterbacks right in Indianapolis uh, over the past three seasons, and uh, I, I'm I want. I want to see what he can do with a young team, with a guy like Jalen Hurts, where there are no – there's no contract situation. There's nothing like that. They're not beholden to anybody. Let's go out there and let's try and build a winning culture again. And I'm actually excited to see – and I think, John, you and I spoke about this on my show over the weekend – Nick Sirianni, as you had mentioned, he's got a wide receiver background. This team's invested in wide receivers. That's why I don't that's why they traded out of six, is because they didn't want a wide receiver at six. They've invested in Jalen Rieger. They've drafted JJ Arthago Whiteside in the second round. We know who they passed up to get both players. They've even invested in later rounds in Hightower and Quez Watkins. And I'm excited to see what can he do to maximize their talent because perhaps the Eagles probably don't go in that direction in the first round again this year at number 12, more likely to go offensive line or defensive line or something that the fans don't want because it's it's not going to be a sexy pick. But can he get some of these wide receivers to live up to their potential? So that's something that I'm excited to see if he could do it. And, and t- until we get to go out there and see him, I don't know what it's going to be like this year with the OTAs and training camp and all that stuff and how much we get to interact and see guys on the field, but I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt for now. Appreciate
1: your, uh, giving a, just a, around the fringes speculation as to what the Eagles are going to do with their first pick at number 12 in the first round. But before we get there, there has to be a plan in place as to how you determine who that player is going to be. We know what the relationship was between Howie and Doug, all the way back to chip and Howie and, How he having the power, then not having the power, then getting it back when Chip got pushed out. Whole new coaching staff. Jeff Lurie may be more involved during the offseason than we've seen in previous years. He's always been involved, maybe more involved this year. How does the conversation go in draft night? And the war room. I know it's a tougher question than usual because you haven't been able to build up a relationship with Nick Siriati. We're all living in the virtual world these days, and he hasn't really coached a game yet this year. But I'm asking for the best Rob Maddy's speculation. How is draft day going to go? Who wields the power? Who has say so? Who has opinions that are going to be weighed and measured, but not necessarily just blatantly followed? How does it go in Eagles' war room on draft night?
6: Yeah, well, I think Howie's ultimately going to make the final decision. He's going to rely on the scouting department, and I don't, I don't anticipate Nick Sirianni having much of a say. I think they get some input from their coaching staff, but uh, I, I would, I would venture to say Jeffrey Lurie, and he shouldn't have, <laughs> shouldn't have input. No owner should have input. He may have as much input on this draft as the Eagles' coaching staff, and that's never a good thing for a new organization.
2: Yeah, well, Rob, you bring up Jeffrey Laurie, and I, I do have to get your thought process because he does seem – you've been around this team for a very long time. Certainly to the outside looking in, he seems to have gotten more involved post-Chip yeah. Kelly. I've also seen other people saying, you know what, he was always involved. Andy Reid was just a better politician steering him in the proper direction. So do we need a coach like Andy Reid who's savvy enough to steer Jeffrey Laurie away from his more, shall we say, uh, difficult devices and 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 difficult decision making? Because look, one guy I'd like to bring up is Carson Walsh because the fans didn't like him. The fans wanted him out. And Jeffrey Laurie kind of made that decision. Okay, Micro. And Carson Walsh aren't going to be back. Doug wanted him back. Why is Jeffrey Lurie getting involved in the weeds with assistant position coaches? It's just too much. It's a business,
6: right? And it's a business. He's the one signing the checks. He's the one, obviously, with the final say, and, and he's got all the power. And I think he runs his business sometimes to that uh degree where he he, he hears the fan base. He hears the fan base. He understands what's going on. The Eagles don't need to sell tickets. The Eagles are going to be sold out regardless, right? So it's not like having to sign a Bryce Harper so you can get fans in the seats and the Phillies signed Bryce Harper more for the business aspect of it. Of course, he's a great player. But from this standpoint, I think when, when you look at an offense that after two years in regards to Walsh and Mike Groh had declined a little bit and, and Doug's got a lot of loyalty, right? And, and, and I reported this after the season. They wanted to fire Frank Reich in 2016 and wow. Doug down to the table to keep Frank Reich and, and that ended up working out in their favor. Well. Doug wanted to do it again that year with Walsh and and Grow. Didn't happen. Wanted to do it this year, and and it didn't happen. And ultimately, he was the one to be let go. But I think Jeffrey Lurie might be a little bit reactionary, right? And is also an untrained eye when it comes to looking at talent. And as you alluded to, Andy Reid was really good at steering him in the right direction. Andy Reid was excellent at that. I don't think. Doug Peterson certainly didn't have that Andy Reid quality, Right. Uh, and, and Nick Sirianni, to me, I, I don't know at this point what where he falls in line between Andy Reid, Chip Kelly and, and Doug Peterson. Uh, that that's going to determine a lot of this team's future success is how they can. You're not going to fire the owner. So how you how can you put him? How can you allow him to think he's got a lot of input and have say while at the same time not caving into his demands or his pressure?
1: Rob, you mentioned that you think Howie Roseman is going to have final say. A lot of cooks in the kitchen on draft night, but uh, the chef that's going to hand in the card to the commissioner eventually is going to be Howie Roseman. And I agree with that. Eagles have 11 draft picks. It's a pretty big number, a bunch of them in day three, but it's still it's it's. Equity that you could have to move around with. Howie's already made one trade this offseason, dropping down from six to 12. We could debate the merits, the pluses, and the minuses of that. But uh, however you weigh that one, that's already in the books. How much faith do you have in Howie being the best Monty Hall that he can be on draft day? If it's going to come down to wheeling and dealing, moving up, moving down results in on the players that Howie picked over the years, not necessarily great. How is Howie in a making draft day deals mode? Do you think he's got, we know he's got chips to play with this year. Is he going to be able to turn it into a big enough stack?
6: I have more confidence and faith in Howie and his ability to be able to take a pick and turn it into more picks or take a couple picks and better the situation than I do in Howie actually executing that draft pick. So to me, Howie is great at wheeling and dealing. Howie is is terrific at that aspect of his job. He could turn a pick and, and trade up, trade back, do whatever it is, but then it ultimately comes down to executing on that pick. And that's where I don't think any of us at this point have a lot of faith in Howie Roseman. You look at the seven-year track record since uh, 2014, the only pro bowler that they drafted isn't here anymore.
2: Well, Rob, we know that track record, and I know I was on your show this weekend, and I mentioned if you look at the top half of the draft in the history of this Eagles organization, it says quarterback, offensive line, defensive line. So, if I put you on the spot at number 12 overall, Howie Roseman stays. They hand in the card. What, what are we looking at? I don't think they're going to stay. I really think there's going to be a move. But if they do stay at
6: 12, it's really like you and I discussed this weekend. It's probably going to be in the trenches, somebody along the defensive line or somebody along the offensive line. I think the prospects at 12, whether it's Slater Uh, or someone else might fall in line with an offensive lineman more saying a guy like Slater who could play any position on that offensive line really is an attractive piece for this team with especially with the injuries they have I don't anticipate it being a wide receiver and now when Carolina makes that trade to acquire Sam Darnold they're not taking a quarterback at eight They could take one of those guys, whether it's Devonta Smith or Jalen Waddell, that we thought might fall to the Eagles at 12. So that takes one of those guys out of the equation. I don't think any of them at this point might even be there at 12. So I would lean towards
1: offensive line, then defensive line at number 12, if they stay there. Interesting you say, uh, more likely that they move one way or the other. Well, we know what happens when you move. You can only go one of two ways, up or down. Give me a percentage breakout. Eagles moving up more uh, likely? Eagles moving down more likely? Will they get a pick lesser than 12 or higher than 12? If Howie's going to play wheeler-dealer, which way is he going? I would lean like 60-40 down. And I look at Chicago at
6: 20. I don't know that a quarterback can get there to 12. But if one of these guys does fall to 12, Just suppose that happens because now Carolina is not in the market for a quarterback. We've heard different things about Justin Fields. I, I don't know what could happen. But if it transpires that maybe a team trades up to get another position player, if there is a possibility with a quarterback at 12, Eagles could trade down to 20 with the Bears. and and then accumulate one more first-round pick sometime in the future that they could potentially package in a blockbuster deal. So I would lean towards them more so trading down than trading up at this point.
2: Rob, you do your, obviously, podcast with AP, cover the league as a whole as well. Um, We know we're going to get quarterback. We know we're going to get quarterback one, two, three for the first time, for the third time in league history. There's a potential we could go one, two, three, four for the first time. When does that fifth quarterback come off? Do you think it's going to be top ten? Do you think it's going to go that quickly? When you're talking about uh, back fifth
6: back, I, th- I think the fifth quarterback could could be we're, we're looking at maybe in a top. Yeah, probably in a top ten situation, guys. Yeah, it's amazing. You got to be looking at a top ten situation there. And for me, the question is when's when's the first non-quarterback gonna go right? And and it does Atlanta at four really go with Kyle Pitts or someone else, or do they go with a quarterback? I don't think they go with a quarterback. I think they see in Matt Ryan a couple more years, and they probably go in a Kyle Pitts uh, or or someone else. And Sewell looking likely to go with the Bengals. But yeah, that that. Uh, Five in the top ten, five quarterbacks in the top ten is going to be – and how many of them are going to pan out, guys? That's the question. We look at the I, Sam Doppel, the yeah. Josh Rosen draft, and look at those guys now. And, and you go back to Winston and Mariota. You go back to Wentz and Goff. You look at all those for as as t- as much as teams rely on getting their the franchise quarterback in the top five, top ten,
1: it's not always panning out. I'm going to give you a hypothetical. Both of you guys, Rob, you specifically because you're the guest, but I want John's answer too. Both of you have leaned toward, ooh, it's in the Eagles' DNA to do the lines, to stay in the trenches that they're going to go offensive line or defensive line. Well, for me, at number 12, nobody deserves. There isn't a defensive lineman in this draft that deserves to go in the top 12. So if that happens, I'm going to be ticked off. Offensive linemen, (laughs) there are a couple that merit that type status. If Sewell doesn't go five to the Bengals and we do see the five quarterbacks go off, and then there's the run on the receivers, both wide receivers and the tight end, and we get to nine or 10, and oh, by the way, they haven't uh, taken Sewell's name off the board just yet. Is there a chance that they're going to uh, move up? Rob, you just said you think there's more chance they're going to drop back. But if Sewell is only two or three picks from their grasp, but they get aggressive and go get him, or do they just sit and go, well, maybe you drop all the way to 12. How do you think it's going to shake
2: out? I'm not sure if we lost lost Rob, so I'll jump in for him. But, um, you know, that happened with Andre Dillard. That was the exact sort of thing that happened, and the fact that the Eagles really didn't even do their due diligence on Andre Dillard because they thought there was no way – he was going to fall for him. All of a sudden, he starts the fall draft day, and they do that. They make the move up to get a player they thought. There's no way he's going to be here. So can I see that happening with a player like Sewell specifically? He's the one guy I mentioned that. If he starts falling, and all of a sudden he's there at 10, you say, yeah. oh, we better go up and get this guy. Yeah, I think that's a potential, potential possibility. I don't think it's a possibility with – the, the Kyle Pitts of the world or the Jamar Chases, and I think that's going to upset Eagles fans because, Jody, they wouldn't have moved back if they weren't comfortable with passing over those players.
1: The only problem with the Eagles moving up 10, and we're talking numbers here, and that's what we're thinking, but at some point you got to plug in the team's both the Cowboys and the Giants are the two teams that are sitting in front of the Eagles in the two picks right before them. So I don't know that either one of those teams is going to be ready, willing, and able to assist the Eagles in getting the best offensive linemen In the draft, it's probably going to have to be nine or higher if the Eagles want to get their hands on Paday Sewell. All right, uh, we will be talking draft for the next three weeks. That is a promise until we get there, until we reach draft night, night day one, uh, we'll be speculating on it. Hopefully we get a trade every once in a while, like the Jets trading Sam Darnold to spite despite the interest a little bit. Uh, Johnny Mac, good show today. Appreciate your- We uh, got
2: Rob back, so let's bring it back to say goodbye. Okay, do we- uh, can we get it back? There we go. Rob's back. All I, right. I don't know what happened. It zapped out on me, guys. <laughs> <That happened. laughs> it it uh, happens.
1: All it, right, well, you know. then let me, let me ask you the question that I uh, finished up the question I asked before you went into the Ethernet. Sure. Um, <laughs> if uh Sewell comes down as far as number nine, if he doesn't get picked off before that, you mentioned you think how he likes the deal. He's already done one deal. There's no reason he can't do another one with that pick. At number 12, you said more likely back than up. If Sewell comes down as far as nine, they go They go uber uh, aggressive go up and get him? Uh, especially with the Denver Bronco. Is, is Trey Lance off the
6: board at that point? No, right? He's not off the board. They know that Dallas isn't going to. Dallas isn't going to take a quarterback. They know that the Giants aren't going to take quarterback. That'd be a smart trade for the Denver Broncos. They ought to be hyping up Sewell right now in case that scenario does play out so the Eagles jump up in there and snatch him. I think that there is a strong possibility of that happening. If he's there, but I don't anticipate him being there.
1: Right, nor do I, but I just – that's the beauty of the lead-up to the draft. You can make up these hypotheticals as you see fit to be able to put a guy on the spot. Rob, thanks for hopping on with us, brother. We appreciate it. We're going to hit you up plenty over the uh, upcoming weeks leading up to the season, up to the draft, up to it all. Rob Marty, Associated Press, does some hosting over on 97.5, the fanatic as well. All right, uh, Johnny Mac, we'd be out of time. I look at my clock, says uh, we have put our two hours in here on – Eagle uh Eagle Birds 365. Uh, we will do the very same thing again tomorrow. Thanks to the guys on the stream for sending in their comments. It was WWE you're watching, right? We did confirm that earlier in the show. We did was- confirm that. Monday WrestleMania
2: this weekend, which we'll get into at some point as well.
1: Uh, that's good. That uh, sounds like a Friday topic here on Birds <laughs> 365. He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. Thanks for streaming us, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow here on the Jacobs Media YouTube channel.
3: If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.
8: The Internet. This is the story of the one.